Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So I have a really special guest today. And of course, we're going to be talking about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic and how it impacts every aspect of our lives. But today we're also talking with somebody who has been through a near-death experience. And we're going to be talking about how near-death experiences can really ramp up the sensitivity. And I mean, you might imagine can be a total change in your life. So Nicole Kerr is an award-winning health and wellness expert. Throughout her 30-year career, she has focused on supporting thousands of people from every walk of life to make realistic, meaningful choices for lifelong health. As a 19-year-old cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy, Nicole went through a transformative NDE. Her pursuit of improving her own health led led her to inspire others to reach the overlooked domains of emotional, energetic, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Nicole. I am so glad you are here. Thank you so much, Jen. I am absolutely delighted to be spending my afternoon with you. I am so delighted to be spending my afternoon with you. Oh, so I always like to start at the very beginning, whatever you think of as the very beginning. What was it like for you? Were you a highly sensitive child? Um, And if not, what was that like? And when did you become highly sensitive? But like, tell me your story. Let's, let's start what, with whatever feels like the right place to start. I think I probably came in as a sensitive, empathic person. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as soon as I got out of the birth canal, that stopped because I was born into a family that was highly uh, religious highly structured, meaning military, uh, rule-based, the father uh, representative of the heavenly father. So very, this is the way, these are the rules and you will do what I say. And so the ability to broaden or get support for anything that was out of the realm of what they, my parents knew was not going to be supported. So my experience started when I was 18 years old and at that point deciding where to go to college. And my father always wanted one of his four children to follow in his footsteps. So I signed up. I wanted to be his favorite girl and favorite child, actually, not Mm -hmm. just girl, because I had two brothers and I signed up and I actually passed all the criteria to be one of the first female cadets in the United States Air Force Academy. So my class was the class of 86, the first class graduated in 80. So I went up there and I just had no idea what I was really, really getting into in terms of the abuse. And it was on a physical level. It was on an emotional level, a 
mental level and a sexual level. Mm. So, and the, the academies are still dealing with that, especially in the sexual abuse uh, category. And so I knew at three weeks into boot camp when we got to make our first call home, no cell phones back then, you couldn't talk to anybody. Right. You're, we're talking 1986. Yeah. 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 And this would have been 82 when I oh, went 82. in. 82. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were class so, of 86. Yeah. So it goes oh, four years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was really, uh, I got my three minutes on the phone. My mother answered it and I started crying, Jen, and I Mm -hmm. couldn't quit crying, hyperventilating. That went on for 30 minutes. Okay. Then the commander comes in and said, Kurt, get off the phone, go sit over there and pull yourself together. And I didn't realize it till decades later that that was my first panic attack. Mm. What I really needed at that moment was for my mother to give me permission to come home and say, honey, if this isn't working out for you, if this is not what you thought it was, come home. You're not going to be a failure in our eyes. We love you no matter what. It's unconditional. But she didn't say any of that. She just listened to cry. And then she turned, as she told me later, to my dad and said, what have we done to her? And he's like, oh, she'll be fine. And the Uh, truth was, I I wasn't fine. I, from there, went to remedial because I wasn't a varsity athlete. I was a model. I was on a team board. I did junior achievement. I didn't do programs that would lead to the military. I hate small planes. I like big ones, but give me a small one. Uh Uh-uh. I don't like it. So I was there for the wrong reason. I was there to please my father. And this identity of people pleaser is one that especially us women get attached to. And it is really holding us back from being the beings that we were created to be. Because at the end of the day, someone who is a people pleaser, you're going to feel like you're a roach that got stomped on and got nothing, nothing back. And you spend your whole life trying to be someone that someone else wants you to be instead of coming into your own, your own power, your own self, your true identity. And that's this really sad part about that people pleasing is it's so inbred, it is really hard to get rid of it from a really, usually it's a generational uh, a crossover that is implanted, you know, and even things like don't hurt your mother. Oh my goodness. You know, in the South, or don't disappoint just, your mother. Yes. Don't disappoint your father, your family. Don't, yeah, embarrass don't disappoint, your family. don't embarrass yes. them. Don't, don't make them look bad. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. All of that. All so of that. There's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of pressure to perform. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to perform at least at a high level where you'll be noticed. And especially if you're a child that is really wanting attention uh, from one of your parents and you keep not getting it, you get close, but you just know he raises the bar every time you get to the bar. And so it's very frustrating. So I knew that that three weeks in, that was the wrong place for me, but Mm. I could not face the shame of quitting. I just Mm. couldn't. Mm. It's like the thought of quitting after all the work I did to get in. I mean, it is it is hard to get into the academies. You have to be congressional nomination. You have to do, you know, the physical and all that. It is, it's, it's a lot. And so 
I made it through my first year by the grace of God. Don't ask me how, but I pushed and pushed and pushed myself and I made it. And then starting the second year, uh, I knew that I was getting in deeper. It was getting harder academically. It was all engineering focused and my brain doesn't work that way. I mean, I barely got out of organic chemistry with a D, you know, mm, it is mm. it's not wired for, I don't care how the plane, what makes the plane take off. I just want to know that it goes same thing with electricity. I don't need to know the conductors and all the wiring. I just want to flip the switch and know that it's going to come on. You know, that's, that's how I operate. And I'm grateful that there are people that want to know how the switches work, but I'm not one of them. Right. And right. so, um, and then, and then it was getting harder in terms of demands from uh, leadership and just, it's, it's just every time, every year it gets harder. Let's just put it that way. It may not be the abuse that you had as the, the duly, you know, or the, the first the freshman year, but it does get harder. And I was like, knew that I was getting in too deep and I couldn't quit. And I couldn't, I couldn't just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, so I went into my sophomore year and there was an event that happened with our squadron. And I will just say that, um, I got there later in the day and we're not allowed to have cars out there until we're seniors or juniors. So I was a sophomore and I got a ride back. I was the last to leave with a senior. Um, and he was been drinking all day and I didn't know that. And he wanted to stop at a bar on the way back and have a couple more beers. So I wanted to be cool. I wanted to have fun. I didn't date in high school, you know, and yet I'm going to school with 4,000 guys. And my dad's rules were no dating other cadets, no smoking and no drinking. So needless to say, um, we never made it back to the academy. We were supposed to be back by 735 and, uh, wind up we were in a Corvette convertible and the car uh he wrecked the car it at 72 miles an hour flipped over since the top was off we were both thrown out which turned out to save our lives but since I am in the field of public health I want to stop here and say please wear your seatbelts <laughs> um mm -hmm. they do save lives and uh, I was pronounced dead at the scene and the reason I know what happens next is because my my EMT that was a volunteer came to my hospital room 10 weeks later and told me the story. And then for my book, I have put together all my medical records, uh, the police reports, the district attorney reports. I compiled everything that I could related to the crash and used that as um, evidence in my book to support everything that happened. So what had happened was uh, they, there was a house nearby and a group of people in the house heard the crash immediately came out, couldn't get any vitals on me, went in and got some blankets and covered me up. The driver was over on the other side. He was conscious uh, and had some, some scratches on his back, but he was um, not, not talking right. He was, he was telling the police that other people uh, were driving the car, not him, and which wasn't true. So there was a lot of, I mean, the trooper knew that he'd been drinking. They did a blood test. He was double over the limit of Colorado. So uh, clearly drunk. And then when the paramedics arrived on the scene and all the units, um, this man, John took, uh, he, he told the bystanders, look, I 
I call the shots here. I have to, to pronounce this woman dead. So he said he started working on me, couldn't get any vitals. So did something called a sternal knuckle press. And that is what caused my right eye to flinch and my pupil to dilate. Now, what do we know, Jen, about the eyes in terms of spirituality? Well, I mean, there's the classic, they're the window to the soul. That's it. That's yeah. exactly right. So that's my soul coming back into my body. Wow. I'm just getting, as you're speaking, I just keep getting these waves of chills as you're talking. I just like from the sort of the beginning of the story, it's just like one chill after another. So it, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it really, my life it, to survive this is amazing, but that's all he could get. So I had major injuries. I had cut my left foot off. I had cut the whole inside of my legs, um, a fourth degree laceration between my anal and sphincter muscle. Uh, I had severed my right wrist. I had a bad road burn from skidding on the, the gravel and the pavement and the debris that took off several layers of skin. I broke my pelvis on both sides. Um, so it was it was nasty. It really, really was. And yeah. so they got me to the nearest hospital, which happened to be a community hospital, uh, not equipped for trauma, but they couldn't move me either. So it just happened on call that night was the first woman surgeon in the state of Colorado Springs. I mean, in the city of Colorado Springs, she was the first woman who went to medical school at Jefferson College in Philadelphia. She's a maverick. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I needed her on my team. Yeah. The EMT was a maverick and I needed him on my team. He was a you know former Navy SEAL. And then the nurse that was with me the whole four months, she was OCD. And I needed a compulsive oriented nurse because I had to have two nurses on me. I was so high uh, need in, in terms of um, all my injuries. So I spent the next seven months, four months in the hospital, seven weeks in ICU. My blood pressure when I, when they got to me was 60 over zero. So you can see how they thought, and there's just no life in me. Yeah. And so all I remember from all of that in terms of the accident was bright white light. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't blinding light. It was just this clear, bright white light. So in 2006, 19 years later, my memory of the accident came back. Okay. I had no memory of it. Zero. I went on into physical therapy to learn how to walk again and go back to school and get my degree. My mother uh, did not think I needed mental health. The doctor there said, Nicole needs trauma therapy. And uh, mom said, no, Jesus and God are our psychiatrist and psychologist. And oh. they'll take care of her. And that's just not true. You know, it's not true. It's not that true. That is not what God and Jesus are about. No. And I needed I needed help. You needed and help. Because, and because I didn't get that help, it turned into an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And you know, 1983, uh, I was compulsively eating. So I went back to college at really highly visible image conscious school called Southern Methodist in Dallas, where my sister went. Not probably the best choice now that I look at it, but I was living with her. So my parents were said, you're physically ready enough to go live with her, but I wasn't mentally and I certainly wasn't spiritually. Mm -mm. So I immediately developed to shut the pain down and uh, 
the fact that I had been with my mother for, you know, about eight months, nine months, now we're totally separated. And I had become codependent on her because I was back to an infant. That breakup just devastated me. You know, I was alone. Uh, I, I, and, and so compulsive eating back then really wasn't identified and treated as a eating disorder. You know, it's just pretty much anorexia. So now it's known as binge, uh, binge eating or binge, or binge purge cycles. Yeah. 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 So, um, I went into the field of nutrition, think I could think, and I could fix myself if I right. figured out, <laughs> I figured out what was going on with the food. Well, then I could just control the food because it's always a control issue somewhere in the line. And yep. I had no control over the driver and what happened. So I, the only thing I can control, cause I can't even control what my body's going to do in terms of reaction to a medication, to a surgery, to anything, but I can control that Ben and Jerry's and I can, but I can't really, I eat the whole pint or the right. pizza. You know, so it, when you study it, you understand it and, but it still didn't help me deal with it. I had to get into therapy to start dealing with it. Yeah. I mean, your entire nervous system has just been like, literally like, you know, like you're, you were like thrown up in the air and just like, like shaken and tossed on the ground. And then the recovery, I mean, it makes total sense that with no support, you had to find some coping mechanism. And I've been reading lately a lot about attachment theory and about how um, our nervous systems are co-regulate with our mother's bodies and our mother's nervous systems in utero and for the first couple of years of our life. And so it sounds to me when you were saying how like you were kind of like very codependently connected to your mother, I would actually argue that you probably had reverted to a place where you were co-regulating with your mother and needed her Mm -hmm. nervous system in order to function well. And so I, it's like, and then of course the correlation between food and nurturing and food and mom, you can't have your mom. Well, then of course you're going to go to the food. Like, Yeah. yeah. Totally. I also want to pull out a thread about, because you drew out something that I've heard before. And when I was in seminary, I I found this, I ran into this mentality at times with the more conservative Christians of this idea that, you know, it's therapy or Jesus, that it's, you know, that it's, and that somehow, like, if you are devout enough, if you are committed enough, that Jesus and the Bible and scripture and all of that is just going to make it all better. And what's so incredibly sad is that um, it, it feels to me like it's apples to oranges. And, and I've definitely known people who with trauma and histories who would have done, who really needed support from a clinician who's, who come from that strict religious upbringing that believes that therapy is unnecessary because, you know, we got, we got God on our side. And I just think it's so sad to hear, hear how much that can affect so many of us in the world. Well, I think it's that system also I grew up in are black and white. If you think about church, church is black and white. And I grew up Southern Baptist because that's what my dad was Mm -hmm. and Lutheran because that's what my mother was. So both of them claimed they had the right way to God. Both of them had different sets of rules to get there. But 
there were rules and there were conditions. And if you didn't do it, you were going to, uh, God was dualistic. He was loving and protective and supportive on one side of the equation. And yet the wrath of God would be coming down on you if you did A, B, or C that you weren't supposed to. Right. So he was punitive and judgmental. And so when I died, at 19, that's the image of God that I had, that I had done something really, really bad. And I was going to live in infamy for having been this failure. I did make it through the academy. I didn't listen to my dad. And so therefore, this is what happened. And my parents actually blamed me for the wreck. They said I should have been more responsible and not gotten in a car with a drunk person. And that my, my dad literally told my other siblings, this is what happens when you don't listen to me. And, you know, oh my God, talk about yeah. kicking somebody when they're down. Well, totally. And here I was fighting for my life. Yeah. I had two, two more code blues in the hospital, uh, one in an operating, uh, in an operational situation where I just, I left and I, I kept trying to leave Jen. Yeah. And it's because I didn't want to be here in this pain and this suffering in this body. Right. I did not want to. And so when my memory came back 19 years later, I was working at the centers for disease control down in Atlanta. It's going about my normal day. And I go to Starbucks in the morning, get my, my coffee and, all of a sudden, plain as day, I can see how I'm sitting in the car. And I thought, oh my goodness, now I know why I cut off my foot and I cut up the inside of my, you know, the vagina area and all of that. And uh, I was like, because I had one foot on the dashboard and the other one crossed over. And so it made total sense to me that I went butt up through the windshield, cut cut the foot, cut all this. It saved my head, basically. I mean, I still had a traumatic brain injury because of being unconscious for at least 12 hours, but, and it saved my spine, mm. but it, it got almost everything around it, but still I'm not paralyzed. You know, I did in one operation have to have a colostomy to divert the stool mm -hmm. so that that whole area where the rectal, uh, area is, is could heal. Mm -hmm. And so thank God they were able to reverse that year, uh, a while later, but for a 19 year old who'd never had sex before to wake up from surgery and have this bag hanging out with their mm. intestine, I was shocked. You know, yes. it was yes. like, no one's going to want to be with me, you know, and it, it just, um, it was a roller coaster. And I mean, a roller coaster for the four months that I was there. But when my memory came back, I want to get back to that because yeah. what I remembered was sitting in the car and I just was like, I started shaking. So I said, I'm not going to work. I'm going to my chiropractor who does body work. And he didn't have any openings that day. And I said, I'm sitting in this office until he can make time for me. And I sat there all day and he finally fit me in. And he said, what you have going on a call is called repressed memories. And I said, but 19 years later, I mean, that's when the accident took place was at 19. He said, well, your body's ready to remember. And there's a mm -hmm. great book out called The Body Remembers. And it talks yes. about trauma and it talks about these repressed memories. And when your body feels safe enough, and I want to add, if it's for your or others highest and greatest good, then the memory will come back. 
but I don't believe if the memory is not for your highest greatest good or someone else's that you won't remember it'll stay repressed because it's not going to be of service yes so um what happened was I remembered going through the windshield and I describe it in my book and I, I want to read it because it's pretty visual um, Dr. West shifts his hands to a new set of acupressure points as I hear a sigh leave my body. I am spinning around insanely fast like those tilt-a-whirl carnival rides grabbing the side of the car door. I scream as my side of the car smashes head on into something. What is it? I realize I can't stop anything and my voice fades. I fly out of my seat through the windshield. Around me, glass is shattering like splatter paint. I feel pieces of it cutting into my thighs and legs. God, this hurts. And then something slices my foot bad. I tried to shield my face with my hand, my mouth wide open under it. Then I'm in the air for what feels like forever. When I finally hit the ground, I understand that I'm going to die. My mind freezes and I scream, oh my God, help me. Then I have one more final thought. I'm not going to make it. Mm. And that was the end of my treatment with him. And he said, Nicole, go home, go to sleep. And the rest of the memory is going to come. So the rest of the memory did come. And when I flew out of the car, that is when spirit, it was like an angel, a cast for the ghost is what I called it, came down and my soul flew out of my body. So I didn't hit the ground still with my soul in the body. Mm -hmm. That is why I don't, I don't remember to this day, any of that pain. What I do remember was the pain waking up in ICU going, <gasps> where am I? And what has happened to me? Cause I was just in, even with all the drugs, I was in a lot of pain. So that being who I just found out was my grandfather on my dad's side who died at my age right now I'm 58 years old and my granddad had a massive heart attack at 58 in August and this came to me in August and the book had already been printed and I just went it was my grandfather that knew I could recognize an angel form because mm -hmm. I we had studied angels so he lifted me up and I could hear I was not in a human form. I could hear discussions going on at this level that I was at. And the discussion going on beside me was angels talking about how we have to ask for help on this planet as humans. They are not going to intercede because we have free will unless we ask them. Only in a state of emergency like mine was where my grandfather came down and swooped me up and caught me and brought me back up. But that is one of the messages that I really want to make sure everyone hears. And I'm going to repeat it again, that you have to ask for help from the angelic realm. And it's going to come, but it may not come in the form that you're thinking of. So what I have done is changed the way I pray to the highest and greatest good for all. I don't yes. pray for this person to be cured of cancer because I don't know, don't what, know. The, what the highest and greatest good is for that person or their family. Yeah. So when people ask me to specifically pray that way, I say, I can't do that. I but what I that. will do do is pray for the highest and greatest outcome for all yeah. and they're okay with that but they're still thinking this vending machine concept if you put in a certain behavior you're going to get it 
And if you don't, well, then that means you prayed wrong or, you know, I mean, you think about the prayer position we were all conditioned into. So you go, oh, did I not get on my knees? Did I not put my hands in the prayer position? Did that when I, maybe I didn't bow my head. It's something about you that you didn't do right that caused the outcome to be different, right? Right, right. Oh, preach. I, I'm so there with you. And <laughs> my version is I pray for the best possible outcome. And, mm-hmm. and, and for the willingness to accept the best possible outcome, because yes. it's yeah. not always what we think it's supposed to be, but it's, and, and yeah, I mean, it's like the way we approach prayer is like a vending. It's like Santa Claus's list. You know, yes. we go sit on Santa's lap and we say what we want. And, and then, you know, and then it's mm-hmm. even like that whole thing of, if we don't get it, it's because we we've been Santa knew we were being bad, but I, it doesn't work that way. No. And, no. and that's, that's what I realized when I heard that message, then, then my grandfather, uh, angel being said to me, Nicole, your message is to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I was at that point realized, uh Oh, I'm going back down there. And I'm like, no, please. I don't want to go back because I was in such a cocoon of bliss and happiness. And just, I can't even find the words to really describe it, but there's like no negativity, no hurt, no pain, no suffering. And I just didn't want to go. I could see my body down there. And I just was like, I don't want to do this. Mm, And, mm. and he's like, you, you're going back, you know? And so that's when my soul came back in my eye because the paramedics estimated I was out for, it took them anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes to get to me. So uh, you can see I was dead. I yeah. mean, and so yeah. it's interesting, you know, when you talk about God, what, when my memory came back, I really realized God is not this duality God. Um, and I have a client, she was six years old when we were talking and she was so scared about going to hell because she came from a fundamental evangelical church. And I said, well, how do you see God and you know your concept of God? And she said, she was so eager to tell me, she said, God is a blue spirit with colors and balloons and all these different colors. He has no head, but he can talk. And I thought, Clearly, this little girl is still having a direct experience with God with no filters from other people. And what I've realized and started piecing together is when you think about that bright white light, Raymond Moody, who coined the term near-death experience, he said that is the most common characteristic of near-death experiences. Now, I've gone on in my book to list the other 10 common NDE experiences, which are all positive. I want people to hear this. They're positive. You do not die. Yes, your physical vessel dies, but your soul lives on forever. Hence, you are deathless. That's why I have the audacity to say that, because your soul is eternal. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I think it's really, really important for people to understand that who, what is their concept of God? Because if they stay in a duality form, they're going to be in fear. And fear is a lower vibration and fear is going, you're going to lose your clarity and fear. Yes. You're not going to make 
uh, align choices if you're coming from the fight, the flight, stem. or freeze. Yes, that yep. amygdala. You totally yeah, actually, bypass. You're even. You're not even in the amygdala. You're in the brainstem at that point in time. Like so, you've even. It's like you're just like in total <laughs> flop there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a term called spiritual amnesia. We forget who we really are and we come back to remember who we really are. And a lot of times that means that you're going to have to make some hard choices about being around toxic people or, you know, questioning these belief systems that have been handed down and say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense anymore. And they're sabotaging you and you don't even know it because it's at an unconscious level. It has been the first 20 years I just got on with my life because I didn't know what happened. And my parents, parents blame me. And I figure, well, they must know better than I do that, uh, that I, you know, I've tried to have some fun once in my life and boy, did I get slapped down. And so I've got to be an even better girl. So I, I just really tried harder and harder to please my parents do what they want. And then, you know, when my memory came back, I would say that was the pivotal point in getting uh, the realization of, oh my gosh, Nicole, first of all, you had an NDE. And back to that color white that I was talking about, the color white absorbs all other colors. Yes. Okay. On the other side, there's more colors than the 64 colors in the Crayola color box. Okay. I'm here here to tell you. We mm-hmm. can't imagine what they could be, but they're there. Yeah. But when you think about how white absorbs them all, to me, that's God. That, that that tunnel or whatever, that presence you're in, in that white light, and there's you're in the presence of God. And mm-hmm. God is not external from you. And you don't have to go through anybody, Jesus included, to get to God, right? You are God. You're an eternal spark of God. And yes. that's what we forget. Yes. And we have the power, you know, to reclaim that. But it is hard when you have a family that you have been in a bubble with. You went to to, to you know Christian schools your whole life. You went to the same church your whole life you went the people you were around were all in that same bubble so you all had the same belief system and then to break out of this and say wait a minute that's that's not the truth or at least it's not my experience of the truth and this country does not deal with death well we know um, i mean <laughs> we really do um, not almost every book written on it and i looked at a lot before i wrote my book my book took me 13 years to write so mm. i i i read a lot of books a lot of nde experiences but every book death itself is cloaked as a veil of gloom and doom. It has a cloud of depression about it and negativity around it. And what my mission is now, which was given to me by spirit, is to not be afraid of death, because if you're afraid of death, then you're not going to truly live. Right. And it's taken me four decades to figure all this out. Mm -hmm. And my own experience along with hundreds of thousands of others is a hundred percent different. Death is absolute beauty, Mm -hmm. light and loving kindness on the other side. 
yes, we're human. There's still going to be suffering and grief and pain and loss that we have to carefully and compassionately hold and heal. But the cosmic content is benevolent and extraordinary. And knowing the true context enables us to live a happier life to prepare for our own graceful passing and also to support others as they approach their own transition. So I'm here to help change the worldview, vibration, and cultural misunderstandings surrounding death. And to do this, we have to start addressing the difficulties getting there, which are our fears. So I have become an eternality advocate, an eternality is a quality or state of being eternal, having no end. So we are all uh, endless. Oh. And, and that is that is my new term. And that is what my new mission is actually a vocation, Jess, at this point in my life. You know, mm-hmm. I've done the dietitian thing. I've done the telling people what to eat. And I realize they can't do it when they're getting hijacked by triggers and stress. Exactly. They know better and it's not their fault. They just are unconscious about it. And I just want people to know, um, you know, in my book, I talk about there's been enough people that have had these experiences that they have studies now to show that there are 10 common lessons and you're not judged this is a huge one because we get, we are a very judgmental society, even Christians, even though Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. There's a lot of hypocrisy and judging still going on. And we're seeing and somehow, that- somehow <laughs> we missed the memo on that one. <laughs> yeah. Big, big time. Big time. I and mean, that- I, some of the most judgmental people I've ever met have been Christians actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And look at all the abuse, you know, yeah. and the churches, yeah. including the Southern Baptist churches, get, yeah. it's all coming. To Everything and everyone is connected. We're mm-hmm. at a point in our society. We haven't quite got gotten there. We're still very divisive, but right. we have to realize we're energy. God's energy. Everything is energy and we're all interconnected. And I guess I will say love is the only thing that matters. We have to learn to love ourselves first. Mm -hmm. unconditionally Mm -hmm. and understand what that means. So all these messages that you may be telling yourself, you need to be screening yourself and they need to be love. And that's why I'm wearing my heart shirt today. I have, I noticed you're wearing a heart shirt. That's awesome. (laughs) You know, and I put little hearts over my heart, you know, and I thank my heart because God, my heart works hard. My lungs work hard, you know, every day. And that's gratitude right there. Even if you can't find anything else to be grateful for today is that autonomic system is doing that for you, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Nicole, there are so many pieces to this story that I'm just so struck by. And um, one of the things that I keep thinking about is the piece of you were so like how much people pleasing and doing like going against your own instincts ultimately caused your death. Like, Mm -hmm. and that um, just really thinking about how, in my experience, I really believe we set boundaries in healthy ways or the boundaries get set for us, or we set boundaries in unconscious ways. And I mean, like talk about an ultimate, like getting you the get out of jail free card. I mean, except it wasn't free. You paid a great price 
for this experience or to be able to get out of the military because I mean, I just, it's so striking to me how you could not leave because of the rules and the family agreements and the shame and the judgment and everything. Like you really were between a rock and a hard place. And it was sort of like, this was your only, this was your only like legitimate exit plan that would allow you to get out with grace, except that even with that, your parents were still blaming you. And, and then I think, I can only imagine how as raised as a Southern Baptist, never dating, like really, you know, in a very, very rigid, very strict family. I'm like, how sheltered were you? You must have gone through total culture shock going into the military. But then like even the whole idea of like recognizing like you didn't even recognize the guy was drunk. Who would have taught you that? How would you have known if you had been living this life of such shelter and so I just, it, it's just so, this story is just so spectacular. And, and I, I also just love, love, love the message that you are bringing about our eternity, about the fact that we are deathless. And also that, and I've had this exact same experience regarding help and divine intervention and the angels, especially, we have to ask. We absolutely have to ask that we're not going to get, you know, they're not just going to intercede because of our free will. We must say, we must request that support. So, so many like jewels in everything that you were saying. Well, I, I will tell you in the epilogue, I had a roommate at the academy and she quit. Uh, my accident was in August and she quit that December highly motivated commandant's list. She was, she was stellar. She quit and didn't tell anybody and didn't stay in contact with me or my other two roommates for 38 years. And I got, I found her on Facebook and we did a zoom call in May. And the first thing she said was, Nicole, I'm so sorry. I caused the accident. And you're going to have to read the book to find out why she has carried that, but that's why she quit the Academy. Oh. And when she told me what she told me, I couldn't believe I didn't know it earlier. I didn't remember that part, but mm. it goes to the blame that Thanks. I put on myself. She was blaming herself. She was blaming and, herself. And what was she, 19 years old? Yes, yes. From a small so, town. <laughs> you know, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, like but, as if she but, prevent it. Yeah, but what went down before the wreck, I had not remembered the communication. Mm. And so when she told me that, she'd never told anybody else. She just left. And wow. she said, man, if, 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 if I would have just done what you asked, Nicole, our lives would be so different. So the epilogue is really important to read because, and that happened two months before the book got published there. That was not coincident. You know, I was just like, oh my goodness, the piece is still coming together almost 40 years later. So that's why it's taken me, you know, they talk about the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years, I literally. Yeah. My entire adult life has been dedicated to understanding, managing my health, my well-being. I didn't get married till I was 40 because my memory of what happened was he was trying to make a sexual pass at me and he got angry at me when I said no. 
turned the wheel of the Corvette and it spun out. So that I never wanted to get guys angry at me. Hence the people pleasing came in even more, you know? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so there are reasons why we do our trauma. We develop, we overcompensate in, in ways that are not necessarily healthy if we don't get help. Right. And if your parents have been traumatized and they don't get those trauma wounds healed, that trauma carries on because they have no empathy for you. They just had to deal with it. So you should just have right. to deal with it. Right. And right. that cycle has got to stop in order for us to be a more enlightened, higher vibrational planet and to respect one another, all sentient beings, all of them, not just acute puppies and uh, mother earth. Yeah. And that's what we're in right now is that that time. And everyone has been traumatized in their life at some degree or another. And it's important that that's why this isn't just an NDE book. It talks about trauma. It talks about my journey of this spiritual transformative experience. And it's so if you're looking for more about what's on the other side, there's a lot of books written on that. I know enough to say I crossed over. I was given a specific mission. I remember the lights, the feelings, all of that that went with it. And I know that I had one. And this is like a mission that I couldn't get my head around. How do you, it's a big mission to tell people not to be afraid of death, you know, because you're actually having to get them to dig deep. And at the back of my book, there is a whole checklist of what you could be afraid of with death and it may be that you know you may not you may worry you don't have a legacy that lives on or what's going to happen to my family or the pain of dying let me tell you there's pain maybe up until the moment of death but as soon as death happens that soul leaves you not one iota of pain Hear me on that. No pain. No, 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 no. So, you know, there's book club questions in there. And I tell people, if you get together and read my book as a book club, you're going to have some intense, deep conversations, but you need to have them. And we need to start getting this out and start talking to each other about it instead of saying so closed in about it. And I will zoom in if I can make it on my time schedule work to your book club meeting for 30 minutes and join it and answer any questions that I can. Um, so I offer that as something free to people with the book. It is, uh, it really, I hope the comments that have, got, have gotten have been overwhelmingly positive. It is a fairly short read. And most people say they can't put it down once they start. Mm -hmm. And it's got pic and it's got pictures. And it's got pictures. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and I will be doing an audio. I start next week starting to uh, do the audio because I do realize there's a, a large market that don't like to read anymore yeah. and are too busy to read or whatever. So I will, that will be coming out hopefully the beginning of the year. Well, and it's also not necessarily just that some people don't like to read. It's also that some of our brains don't read well, that we don't process written words. We process auditory words. And so, you know, it's, it's also, if you are, if your brain, you know, there's, if you have the neurodiversity of written word is not as easy, audiobooks are great. And I'm somebody where 
uh, for myself, I love audiobooks also because especially when they're read by the author, you get I get so much more from hearing you tell the story than I do from necessarily reading the words. And mm-hmm. you know, and I love I love the combo. So that's awesome that you're going to be doing the audiobook. I will say, having recorded my own audiobook, I am sending you all kinds of love and blessings. It is an arduous process. <laughs> so, well, the, yeah. the book, I don't think anything can be more arduous than than uh, writing and publishing this book because I can tell you I have filled up I don't know my whole cloud has got so many writing prompts in it but you just have to to stay with it and there is a divine timing to this and it needed to wait till now to get out in the world especially with the pandemic and everything else that's been happening uh and the baby boomers which is I'm at the end of that generation they're starting I yeah the, the mortality of their parents are dying they're the next ones and they're starting to go uh yeah I may not live forever well you may not live till tomorrow either you know and I think that's the way I certainly wasn't thinking about that at 19 years old you know no no. I'm just trying to think of like what else to talk about because this has just been such an amazing actually I know what I want to talk about I want to talk about we're living in a time where you were saying, you know, and everything you're saying is, is confirming the things that I've been picking up as well. And that, you know, the idea of recognizing ourselves as interconnected and recognizing, but also the, the illusion of fear, the lie of fear. And yet it seems like we're in this dance right now where we just keep doubling down on fear and doubling down on like threat it's almost like, are we trying to learn this lesson? Like, are we pushing ourselves to the point? Um, and I'm just thinking about like right now, as you and I are recording this, we're like days from the midterm elections. And no matter how you slice it, there will be people who are going to be disappointed. There are going to be yes. people like, because yes. we are so divided. And I know that there are just a lot of people who are just kind of like fearful for what comes next in our world. Both sides are fearful for what comes next in our world. And I'm wondering, as somebody who knows we are deathless, as somebody who knows that we are eternal, what do you say to, I guess, like the human misery, the human suffering, all the crap we put ourselves through? I would say that you have to work on yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. It starts, it all starts with us and you have to get an alignment. And what I mean by getting an alignment is your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit have got to be aligned and connected. And so many of us process emotions from the neck up Mm -hmm. in our intellect and Mm -hmm. in our mind. And Mm -hmm. we say, you know, Jen, I'm angry at Mike because he spread gossip about me that wasn't true. And now I've got to deal with that, you know? And so you're thinking the right emotion, anger, but it's not getting into your body. And you didn't tell Mike, hey, what you did was inappropriate. It was wrong. I'm very angry at what you did. How could you, you know, whatever, you didn't address it. You just swallowed it. And a lot of us were taught to swallow difficult emotions. Yes. And we have a very emotionally illiterate country when it comes to emotions. Mm. We, Mm. yes, we are, have learned bad, sad, mad, and glad. (laughs) You're so right. 
Okay, we haven't learned the bigger emotions of uh, hopelessness, despair, you know, uh, betrayal, uh, gall, you know, uh, how could you stomach that, you know, resentment, having having to go along with something you don't want to go along with, that that eats at you. No, those are all liver connected. You know, the Chinese figured those emotions have an organ mm-hmm. 5,000 years ago. So if you're not embodying the emotion, you've just pressed it down further and you're going to need something to keep it down there. And so that's usually food. You get the dopamine hit that or whatever, you know, if you went to marijuana, if you went to drinking or whatever, it's going to give you a dopamine hit so that you don't have to really think about it. Because if you are aware of something, then that means you have to do something about it. So it means let's stay unconscious. So we really don't have to do anything about it because who cares that the Ukraine, that 14 million refugees are now exited the Ukraine. You know, my mother was born in the Ukraine and she's heartbroken that this is happening again in her lifetime. But we're over here with, as long as we got our internet and our football games, we're all happy, you know, and our food and access to what we want. And our toilet paper. Yes. (laughs) But it's, it's really, ah, that doesn't concern me because it's not outside my window. It's not happening to me. Mm -hmm. And so the emotional part is where most of us are stunted. We haven't learned to embody it. So embodiment is first and key to that. And then you have to figure out who your soul is. Now, when I was growing up, all I heard was soul music and that your soul's going to go to hell. Okay. Those are the only kind of references that I have for your soul. Wow. So now it's like, where do you learn about your soul? I mean, your soul, what is your soul and how do you relate to it and have a relationship with it? And Lee Harris has a great exercise where you write at the top of the page, what does my soul want to tell me today? Mm. And then just write. Okay, do that every single day for a month in your journal. And that gets the relationship going. Like, uh, you know, my soul told me today that when I was talking to you, I'm going to say something out of my mouth and I'm going to be stunned. I said it now. I don't know if I've already said it yet or what, but, uh, you know, it's it's that kind of uh remember that you're love, remember that you are God, you know, that, uh, whatever it is. And so that's the next piece of the alignment, you know, and then you've got your body, you still have to take care of. And I'm going to just say it's shame. I used to work at the CDC, but shame on the CDC, shame on, uh, DHHS and shame on NIH and our leadership, uh, for not telling people how they can proactively help themselves during the pandemic with their health, that they need to be eating more fruits and vegetables. They need to get vitamin D from the sun or a supplement. Uh, they need to get your, your zinc and your vitamin C. You know, these are important. You need to eat cleaner and healthier instead of going into comfort food, which 
I understand we're all going to do that at some point at some time, but the pandemic's been going on for two and a half years and you can't keep that same mentality of, oh, I'm going to wait till it's over and then I'll start doing better. You know, no, everybody's like, oh, I'll just wait for the next vaccine and then that'll fix it. And that's the mindset of a lot of Americans. If I right. just take the pill, they don't want to deal with the pain and right. to transform is painful. This is not most people don't want to sign up for it. They'll do one or two lessons. Uh, 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 what do I say? Uh, rounds with me. And they're like, you know, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too painful. Mm, and I'm mm. just like, you have to push past the pain. The pain is that pain point is there for a reason. And it's to wake you up to who you truly are. But so many of us just for whatever reason, don't want to deal with it. Right. And so we have to, and you don't want to get pushed into a health situation like cancer or something like that, where then you start waking up, you know, yeah. start yeah. doing this here instead of like me having to have died. Right. Right, right. So Nicole, I cannot believe how fast the time has gone by. Like we are, we have zoomed through this conversation and there is actually one thing I really wanted to bring out because you and I were talking about this off mic before we started the, we, I hit record. And that is the fact that post NDE, your sensitivity went through the roof like that your sensitivity yes. really, really expanded. And that was something that I was thinking is definitely a really important part for especially my audience. Yes. And I think if you look at the literature, almost everybody that comes back, you're more sensitive to crowd size. Uh, I want small groups. I need air to breathe. I, so I, I can't handle large groups anymore. I cannot handle uh, alcohol. Unfortunately, my husband has to drink for me, poor guy. But wine, which I used to love, all of that, it, it, it just, I get sick from it. Yep. So I've had to eliminate it. I cannot handle cigarette smoke. It absolutely gives me a migraine. Uh, most smoke does, even fireplace wood smoke, you know, uh, I am sensitive to uh, noise in general. My mm -hmm. husband's a musician, so I they have to practice out in the. Uh, uh, he calls I, it I his feel your pain, music game. <laughs> I feel your pain. I'm married to a drummer. <laughs> okay, I'm a guitarist and songwriter, but he's got his band, mm -hmm. and there's a drummer in the band. So, uh, you know, I just have had to really uh, work with myself on that because. Yep. It's very difficult. And I'm a melancholic type of person. I don't like to really be out with a lot of people and talking a lot because I pick up their energy. Yeah. You know, I was, I was telling you with the trick-or-treaters, I sat out in the front lawn. My husband was a pirate and I was this big rainbow. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but we had all these characters coming by and a lot of them were dark and evil and, you know, uh, especially uh what is the death symbol the scythe uh the yeah uh, the grim reaper grim reaper yeah. yeah and the next morning i didn't take a bath that night but the next morning I, my energy was all off and i was just whoa and i just checked in with myself what is my salt you need to take a bath you picked up everybody's <laughs> energy and emotions and even it was coming through the costume of the character because that costume was still in our energy body we all have an mm -hmm. energy body mm -hmm. which is our aura so when you're wearing clothes like that it's coming through that as soon as i took that bath i was a whole different person so whole different person so that level of sensitivity to people's energy has gotten 
even narrower. And so I really do, if I go somewhere and I'm not feeling, uh, you know, I'm not going to listen to sports discussions anymore. I'm not going to listen to the weather or restaurants. I want to go deep or semi-deep or, you know, I mean, flat out the other day, the neighbor was talking about, I met him and he said, oh, I, I prepare for football games. You know, I'd help people with tailgating parties and uh, that's what I do. I said, I don't give a damn about that. <laughs> I said, whoa, I, you know, it's like, that's your job, you know? And he, he looked like he was a, an entitled ch- uh, kid. And I just was just like, you know, what, what do you mean tailgate parties? That's what you do, you know? I, I understand people want to have fun, but I just like, no, I, I got to go deeper than that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Mm, mm. Nicole, this conversation has just been so incredibly rich. And just, I know for me that, that this has just been so validating and confirming and so, and, and reminding me of things as well. And it's just been really good. And thank you. Of course, of Of course. Well, and to remember, we are light workers. Okay. Your audience, people that tune into something like this, you have it in you to be a light worker. And we are here to bridge this generation. Okay. Mm -hmm. From this old system that is tearing itself down with government systems, all of this and bringing up a new system. Okay. And we're here to bridge it. And so we've got a lot of work to do and we need ourselves in alignment and really able to stand in our power to do it. So that's why it's so important to do this work now and not keep putting it off and not keep putting it off. So before I let you go, I love to ask this question and I'm going to pre-frame it by explaining what I believe we can do. So I really believe that part of the idea of this podcast is that we exist outside of time and space and that this podcast is a broadcast that sort of is relating to the fabric of time. And there are points which right now it's like the fabric of time is folding over on itself. And the point that we are in right now is touching the point of where you were at a crucial, crucial, crucial moment in your life. And what we say now, what you say now, we can send back, we can broadcast to that part of you. And so what I'd love to do is send a transmission back to the Nicole who was struggling mightily. I maybe not sure what exactly the moment, whether it was in the waking up in the hospital bed or joining the millet, crying on the phone, you know, and, and feeling completely bereft and lost. But I would love to here, like, I'd love for you to send, like, imagining that you've just, you're there with her, maybe you've got your hands, your hands on her face, and you're just looking in her eyes and telling her exactly what she needs to hear. What do you need? What do you need to tell her? What does she need to hear? Let's imagine that we are there with her, and you're giving her this message. I am so, so, so very sorry, Nicole, that I deserted you. Our family, my family deserted me. They let me go into this institution, but I deserted myself by not saying no and not respecting myself enough to trust that something, if I could just speak my truth, that I would be okay. I didn't know I would be okay. And so I I want to just apologize for deserting her because I did. And it was... Um, 
it's been really sad and very lonely. And I want to say that um, I ask for forgiveness from her for what I put her through by sending her away. Mm-hmm. And that um, I love her very much. And she's the most important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I love you very much. And you are the most important thing in my life. Is there any other word of encouragement that you would give her? Like knowing that she, like, what does she need in terms of, of encouragement? I want you to know you have permission to speak your truth at any time, any place, anywhere, and know that you're okay. You're safe to do that. Speak your truth anytime, any place, anywhere, and know you are okay and safe to do that because we are deathless. Yes. Nicole, this has been such a rich conversation, such a rich conversation. And I, I, I will say, I just, I've been struck by certain parallels and, and you and I are around the same age. So the time we have a similar timeline and I was in a car accident, like at the age of 18, that was, so I'm just like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> I, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really grateful for this conversation. This has been so incredibly rich. So Nicole, how do people get in touch with you? Obviously you have an amazing book that people need to rush out to get. Yes. And the book yeah. is titled, you are deathless. And do you want to hold it de- up in front of the screen so we can, you know, cause for, yeah, you are deathless. Okay. And awesome. a near death experience taught me how to fully live and not fear death. And I want you to know up there is under my credential right there, BTDT. And of all the alphabet letters after my name, that's the most important to me is been there, done that. Been so there, I done put that. It, I put it as an actual credential. I and love that. You can find me. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. It is right now it's $9.99 uh as a paperback but it comes in hardback and it's in kindle it's on barnes and noble it's uh it's where is it uh books a million i think and then uh goodreads so it's it's pretty much out there on on the standard uh platforms and then you can reach me uh i'm on facebook i'm on instagram and i'm on linkedin uh linkedin is uh nicole uh kerr consulting and then uh nicole.angelique.kerr is facebook or nicole a kerr and then my instagram is nicole.angelique the my middle name a-n-g-e-l notice the angel in that i-t-u-e angelique uh, dot Kerr. So um, you can reach out to me on any of those platforms as well. And my email address is Nicole at Nicole Kerr, K-E-R-R.com. And so I'm assuming Nicole Kerr.com is also a place where people can connect with you too. That's my main website. That's your main website. Perfect. And so guys, everything, including the, um, the book link will be in the show notes so that you can come on over to empathicmastery.com empathicmasteryshow.com and grab all of this with from Nicole. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and sharing your soulful, heartfelt, amazing story. This has just been so rich. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate the afternoon with you. And 
I just want to say blessings to everyone. Happy holidays and to keep working on yourself. Don't give up when it gets hard. You know, there's just keep the persistence going because there always is the light. It never completely goes out. Never, ever completely goes out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So good. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.